Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. I think it's safe to say everyone hates extremists who are violent. One's telling other people to do, using violence to do so. A group I think everyone hates, ISIS, which we thought was defeated and gone, but seems to be making a comeback in Syria. Could it be because we gave them anywhere from 80 to $10 billion worth of weapons when we left Afghanistan? No, couldn't be that. It, could, it couldn't be all those weapons and supplies and training and leaving friendlies behind. That couldn't, that couldn't help bolster an army. Or it could be because there's a huge power vacuum going on in Syria because everyone is fighting everyone. Probably a little bit of column A and column B. But before we get into the war of Syria, which is a complex, crazy war, Nick, how are you and what are you drinking? I'm doing good. I got some uh, just random Pacific Ale by Good Life Brewing, 24-pack from Costco, so or 30-pack. So I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. What about you? I got some white rum and some uh, peach mango juice, and it tastes really good. And, uh, well, my brain hurts a little bit more, and I'm not quite sure if I'm smarter or dumber for researching the war in Syria, but I'm happy to know kind of the details that's going on right now. But I think before we get into the details, we kind of got to figure out how did we get to the point in Syria right now. And for those who don't know and are just listening, we're recording this August 4th, 2022, uh, based on how things are unstable right now, many things could change. So our research and quotes could be changed very soon. Yeah. So I guess to to start, kind of give the geographic region of where Syria is at. So Syria, to the south of Syria is Iraq, and to the north of Syria is Turkey. And those are kind of the big two that we need to know about. Oh, I disagree, Nick. To the to the east you have Iran and to the west you have Jerusalem, uh, you have Israel. Yeah, that's true. I I mean Syria is surrounded by many countries. Yeah, it's yeah, I'm, and a lot of players aren't direct borders, and uh, so it's going to get. I don't know how we're going to keep track of this, but we're going to go over allies and enemies and sides and, and multiple times just to kind of reinforce and. And get it straight but that's where syria is and so what happened is in 1963 is when hafaz or i just looked it up hafiz hafiz al-assad took power when there's a military coup interesting i have 1971 okay sorry there was several it was you so he participated in several coups. I think the first in '63. <laughs> just to, just for everyone listening, the conflicts in Syria have been going on before World War II and after World War II, and it is constant dominoes falling and new ones rising. So bear with us. Okay. So for sorry, he participated in three coups: one in '63, and then one in '66, and then. Uh, a third coup, which outed the leader who kind of emerged after the second coup, he then became leader of Syria. 
uh, through the bath party, and he stayed in huh, power. I guess their time is the charm. Yeah, well, it was for him. And he stayed in power until he turned it over to his son, uh, Bashir al-Assad, and his son, everyone kind of thought, so he, uh, he kind of took power in July of 2000, kind of a more, portrayed himself as a more progressive person than his father, talked about more social issues and, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that's going on right now. He went and studied in the West, and everyone kind of thought it was going to be a whoa, change. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. He, he didn't study in the West. He studied in Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. No, well, that, but he also did post-grad in London. Oh, I did not know this. But you kind of glossed over his change from presidency. Nick, do you know how he became president of Syria? Uh, I, oh, the election? No, that was in 2012. What are you talking about? Well, his father died June 10, 2000. And when he died, a few hours later, the national legislation of Syria changed the law that you needed to be 40 to be president to 34, which was the same age of his son, Bashar al-Assad. Gotcha. Not that that was coerced at all. <laughs> no. 34 is such a perfect, even age. I mean, to be fair, isn't the U.S. 35? Yeah, but at least it's by fives and zeros. Yeah. Anyway, so Bashir al-Assad... You know, he had all the markings of leading to a more open and free Syria. His father, more the authoritarian. You know, he talked about, he went to all the, you know, he took over. He went to the UN. He visited all these countries, talked about how he was going to make it better, you know, more equal and, you know, worried about the environment, all these things. And release political prisoners. Yeah, all this stuff. And then, you know, that was in 2000. So I was like, okay, you know, it's going to take some time. But nothing really changed. He continued to talk about all this stuff, but the country didn't take a drastic turn or, or anything. None of the, the actions turned into something like that he was talking about. So people kind of began to get disillusioned that there was ever going to be anything changed. Wait a minute. You're telling me a politician is lying? I'm telling you an authoritarian is lying. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? Fair. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah, once the people started realizing that the promises are never coming, people started to complain, started to protest, started to criticize the government, spraying graffiti anti-Bashar, and all this made Bashar, who came from quite literally a dictator, not happy. He, uh, he started getting mad and started using his powers to do so. And during this time in his early stages of his election, quote-unquote, he was started to assign his family members to high official positions. I want to just caveat there because I will talk about that later. And eventually, the people kept getting a little bit more boisterous, more louder, forming some groups. And this would start to lead towards a clash that was, well, I think kind of obvious it was good to come. And when we talk about protests, it's hard in the United States to understand exactly what we mean but we talk about protests and that if you get caught protesting you could be killed you'd be taken away never seen again families that would protest would send one member of the family the other would stay with the family because you never knew what protest was going to be the one where you didn't come back from this isn't going to go march in front of washington with your friends this is i might die 
Yeah, they don't use rubber bullets. They use live ammunition. And, you know, everything that gets organized online, having to, you know, use, like, take out your SIM cards, do all this stuff, uh, you know, to hide your, whoever you're talking to, to not link it back to yourself, you know, just like a, the same way we talk about how terrorist networks operate is the same way they have to run, like, all word of mouth. Only people you trust. You never know who's a government informer. Multiple protests, people who go out there are people who work for the government trying to incite something and see who joins in so they can take those guys out. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you get caught, they'll probably torture you to get more information on who is protesting with you. This is Their protest is, is risking not only their lives, but their family lives. Yeah. And I guess in... An important part to note is that Syria isn't doing the best economically leading up to this. You know, in the 2000s, they got hit pretty hard by the financial crisis. It wasn't like they were a huge functioning economy in the first place, which pushed a lot of people out of the middle class into the lower class, which further, trying to think of the right words. Escalated things. People were, people were unhappy. Yeah, it's, uh, if I remember correctly... One U.S. dollar is equivalent to 1,200-some-odd Syrian pounds, something like that. So that's, that's yeah, that talk about inflation. Never a good thing. But this kept going on for, God, 10 years, kept escalating until, until March came around, specifically March 2011. Now, this is, this is hard to pinpoint exact moment of when... The spark was ignited. Some say it was government officials rounding up a gr- group of kids graffitiing and executing them. Some say protesters attacking government convoy. It's kind of hard to say exactly unless you have something, Nick, of when exactly the Civil War would start. I don't have a bunch of dates. I- I'd say it was influenced by you know the Arab Springs with all the anti-government protests that took place throughout the region. But yeah, March... I have July as when the government response started, so that would make sense. Late spring, early summer, the country would be at war with itself. The Civil War would begin, and the sides are not clearly drawn and would get complicated very fast. I don't know about you, Nick, but when I think of Civil War, I think of the United States Civil War, where it's one side versus another. It's 1v1. In the case of Syria... It is not that simple. Well, I feel like it started out as, it, it started out combined. Like it was pro and anti-government. And then I feel like it, after a year or two, it started to splinter off into multiple groups. I feel like there was a little bit there, and this just might be from what I've read and stuff, but it seemed like there was a little bit where it was a concerted effort, everyone versus the government. And then it, after a while, it started to disintegrate because of, you know, nothing's working. And so you have the party who want, you know, the group who wants to try and maintain peaceful protests. You have the group who wants to turn it way up. And then you have the group who wants to bring it up a level to a little bit. And then you also have the, I don't want to work with those people group and those people shouldn't be allowed to be in government. So it's a whole, and I guess we should probably talk about all the different groups in Syria of, uh, is ethnic group the right word? I guess ethno-religious groups is what they're classified as. 
Well, I would not count quite that as ethno-religion. Mm. I know. I kind of... Mm. I don't know. It's hard to tell because internally, for the most part, and this is kind of an overstatement, obviously there's more groups and smaller fractions, but to me, when I was researching this, I saw you had the Syrian government, the Kurds, the Islamic State, and multiple small rebel forces. That's what I was kind of seeing for internal Syria. Now, again, I want to ca caveat this. The civil war is multi-faced, multi-country civil war, which is a weird thing to think about. A multi-country civil war. Yeah, like Mike said, we'll get to outside influence later, but I think it's important to try and comprehend inside first. Uh, so Syria is an Arabic nation. Most of the Muslims there are Sunni Muslims. Anywhere from 70 to 79% uh, is kind of the, the guesstimate there from what I've seen. And then the next biggest group would be the Kurds, which are estimated about 4%. And then the non-Sunni Muslim groups, which are the Alawites, are less than 10% uh, of the population, but they are the ones who are in power. That's the Al-Assad. Bashir al-Assad is an Alawite. His father was an Alawite. Which is confusing to us because, one, the minority having majority control of the country, and also once we get to their allies, most of the allies don't like that group. So it's very confusing in how everything works. But Nick, if you if you can, I would like to start with the Kurds. Yeah, I think that's an important... Yeah, let's go. So the Kurds are a group of people spread out through multiple countries in the Middle East. The Kurdish people themselves are broken into multiple fractions. Honestly, best way to think about the Kurds is kind of like... Um, Think like Christianity, think the Jewish people, where you have multiple different orthodoxes to the same group, but instead of it being just a religious, it's also a people. So I guess, I guess similar to Judaism in a little bit. And in Syria, the main forces for the Kurds are the People's Protection Unit, which is solely made up of Kurds. Then you also have the Syrian Democratic Force, which is made up of mostly Kurds, but have smaller rebel, smaller rebel forces combined with it. So when the war, honestly, the best way to describe it is when the Civil War broke out, the country was not split in half. It was almost polka dotted. Small rebel groups showed up there, small groups troubled up there. And, well, the Syrian government started rolling over some of them. And seeing this, the... Kurds and small rebel forces decided to join, forming the Syrian Democratic Force, which was quite effective at able to fight the Syrian government. And for those who don't know, the Kurds have a very long history of uh, fighting. Honestly, I could say probably every group in this culture has a long history of fighting in one way or another. It's a pretty another. fair assumption. Now, when the war broke out, the Syrian government started to kind of steamroll everything. So first... You know, government lost control. They got reorganized, started steamrolling everything. The Kurdish groups and the rebel forces joined and started attacking and actually were somewhat successful. And in fact, even to this day, I think it was 2014 is when they gained this territory. And I think they still hold it today is they own 30% of Syria, specifically the northeastern of Syria, the part that borders Turkey. And to give kind of an up explanation of why... 
the Kurdish people would want to not be under the rule of Bashir al-Assad. They weren't allowed to use uh, their language in an official capacity, so they're not allowed to, you know, when they're doing the birth certificate, put a Kurdish name down. Uh, They're not allowed to start a business that doesn't have an Arabic name, and they uh, weren't, you're not allowed to sell like CDs or, you know, music that uses the Kurdish language. So quite literally, silencing their voices. I think this is important to note since we're talking about the Kurdish people. You also have the Kurdistan Workers' Party, better known as PPK. These are rebels or terrorists, depending on who you ask. The PPK are Kurdish people in Turkey who fight uh, Turkey, but they have occasionally come over to fight Syria, and their main group for the Kurdish people is to uh, have their own country. The Kurdish people kind of want their own country. Again, multiple fast people that go across multiple borders. But the PPK is not exactly... Well, they're... We, the United States has deemed them as terrorists because they're not exactly the best people. Now, the, the Kurds are very important before the Civil War because, well, I was not familiar, but I knew they had involvement, was how much they had an involvement in fighting other terrorist organizations. The Kurds have always been the front line of fighting, so to speak, especially against the Taliban, especially against the Islamic State. And, well, when the vacuum formed... Islamic State rose again. And I, I don't know if you want to keep talking about the Kurds or the Islamic State. I mean, I, I think that's pretty much most of what I had on the Kurds until we get to outside allies. So let's, let's move into the Islamic State. For those who don't know, ISIS, the Islamic State, was, is a terrorist organization that is extremist. They follow... They, they do... Tor- they do terrible things to humans and for the for the most part between i believe it was 2015 to 2019 the united states was aiding i mean multiple countries were aiding in defeating this terrorist organization and the kurds were kind of major factors but i want to talk before about those outside sources back to isis so isis got an opportunity when the civil war started they saw a power vacuum they saw People were unhappy with each other. They saw to use their faith as a beacon to gather more soldiers. And as the years went by, people turned their attention away from fighting each other to fight ISIS. But now that less eyes are on Syria, ISIS is now getting another revive. And much like myself, most of the world does not like these assholes. And the Syrian fight now is a multifaceted fight. So now you have the Kurds and the rebel forces fighting the government. And now you have the Kurds and the rebels fighting the ISIS. And ISIS now also fighting the government. The government's also fighting ISIS. It's it's a three, right now, a three-way clusterfuck. And that's just the internal beginning of it. It's not even the full picture yet. No. So, yeah, you have... So the the groups that I have for the inside... So you have the, the Syrian government, which is fighting the Kurds and ISIS... And then you have the Syrian government, which is fighting the Free Syrian Army, which is fighting ISIS, and ISIS is fighting them. The Syrian government is fighting the Free Syrian Army. And then you have the Islamic Front that's also fighting the Free Syrian Army and the Syrian government, but not fighting ISIS. And it's and there's so, a lot of smaller fractions within these. 
that are fighting a certain party and not another. And honestly, I don't understand how you keep track of this. And again, because we are American, and it's easy for us to hearken back to the American Civil War, the American Revolution, two sides. Pretty simple. I mean, yeah, it was more complex. Like in the American Revolution, you had well, French, you had German on the English side, but it was two sides. They were just fighting for one side or the other. This is not that. I don't understand how people are able to figure out who is what side. And yes, some of it, like the Kurds, is an ethnic religious group. And so there's probably ways to tell if someone, based on actions and mannerisms, appearance, is a member of that group. But the Kurds are also a multifaceted group. Some some of the Kurds are joined with smaller rebel groups who aren't the same faith as them. Exactly. So I, I don't understand. I mean... And that's been my biggest struggle is figuring out who is part of what group. And I'm sure if I had the knowledge of, of you know growing up there, maybe it would become obvious to me who's a member of which group based on like in the United States, how you can look at someone and pretty much guess who they voted for for president it might be one of those things. I don't know, but I cannot tell. From what I could tell is if you were to ask a group who they're fighting, the answer would be yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, another important reason why ISIS and the Kurds are so important is those two groups have been fighting for a long time. The Kurds were kind of the main front line against ISIS in multiple countries. And until all sides started to focus on ISIS a little bit, ISIS was taking over a lot of territory. And if it wasn't for a group effort, both nationally and internationally, I don't, I think ISIS would still have most of the country. Yeah. So, and I guess from what I understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, they the the Kurds want to produce a more democratic government. It it seems like, and that's why, uh, I guess we're, sorry, we're not allies with them. But to me, from what I understand, that the Kurds are the ones who more closely align with the values of the West and are not. I mean, very clearly, ISIS is not the group we most clearly align with. <laughs> um, but, I mean, what did you see about what it is that the Kurds are wanting? It depends on the Kurd group. Well, yeah. Um, if it, So there's certain Kurd groups that kind of go between borders. They want their own country, much like uh, how Israel was formed. Then you have Kurds who go, no, we just want our slot our piece in the, of the land and our, our voices to be heard. And then you have Kurds who are just like, or just from what I can tell, just want to replace their, the government with their own people. Uh, so I think it's everything in the book. Uh, we say the Kurdish people it's it's not as united as we make it sound. It's very fractured. All, every force here is fractured. Even the Syrian government itself is fractured. And it's I th I think Even it's just dependent. ISIS on is is fractured. So so ISIS very I mean they they want to impose Sharia law on Syria, which is you know women not being educated, wearing burqas, no alcohol, tobacco, and that there's a lot of stone them to death. Yeah, but yet there's some I don't know sect or parts of ISIS who will. Not they will themselves will not traffic in drugs, but they'll allow drug trafficking if they get paid enough, and then some that won't. And so there's 
not that that's like the great dividing line, but it it comes very much down to region and where you're at on what rules that the people want and, and who, you know, what the goal is, even for, it, yeah. Well, I think like every civil war, you have a strong possibility of having your friends, neighbors, and family members on the other side that you're fighting. And I think with this many different internal fighting, internal groups, that it's very possible for be like, oh, no, he's my cousin. Let him through. Even though he's quite literally living, wearing the patch of your enemy. It's, it's, I, it's, I, I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. It's honestly, it's like if every state in the United States went to civil war with each other, but we all didn't wear uniforms or, or specific clothes. Yeah. I mean, I could still tell a Californian though. Well, let's be honest. If a civil war happens in America, California is first to go. So and Texas will be on top. Yeah, the next group I have is the Free Syrian Army. Uh, what you think? Or I guess should we talk about what the government's still doing? Or you, you, you do you like let, let you just let's go talk about the free uh, the Free Syrian Army. So the Free Syrian Army is a group that of military officers who left the actual Syrian military that was run by the government in opposition to Bashir al-Assad. And it started as a strong group, and then it's kind of waxed and waned as time goes on, grown and shrunk. But its its goal is pretty much to remove Bashir al-Assad from his position. And it's, uh, you know, all the members of the, ex-members of the military who defected. Not, they use, you know, they use military weapons and kind of... Honestly, to me, have you ever seen the movie The Rock, Nick? No. It's with uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Well, anyhow, The Rock, it, the premise for this is a military group kind of goes rogue. They steal a bunch of military equipment and decided to start their own system. And honestly, it seems like the exact same thing happening. They saw with their political party, their party, you got to imagine... With Bashar in charge, he's putting his family members in positions of power. He's killing people. He's probably removing people in office. Their job security is probably not the safest, let alone their life is not the safest. So sometimes I I believe that's how the Free Syrian Army took over is that they saw an opportunity to not be killed and over and to take more power, so they decided to do it. Yeah, I, they kind of remind me of uh roberts rangers they were not working with the english of basically their entire goal is just to mess up the like the english occupation or i guess they hit them everywhere so they have to move so they also have to be everywhere and just kind of create chaos basically be terrorists that are targeting you know the military and i guess this is and this is i guess i don't know a great way to say this it's really hard to call someone a terrorist until history is done. All the founders of the United States were terrorists until the end of the war. Yeah, it's easy to... I'll be honest. Well, it one, it's easy to judge when we're thousands of miles away. Two, it's hard to judge when we're not physically there. Three, we don't have all the evidence. I mean, I'll be honest. Right now, Syria's a clusterfuck. It's hard to tell what's even happening, let alone the details of what's happening. And we haven't even gotten to the chemical weapons yet. Did we 
we haven't even gone to we haven't even gone to the Syrian government yet. Also, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of standing, not standing. That's wrong words of choice. Kind of similar to the Free Syrian Army is the southeast regions of Assyrian rebel groups. There are multiple fractions, like uh, but for the early stages of the civil war, they controlled majority of the cities. So uh, Damascus, uh, Dash, I can't quite remember, and I don't want to try to force it. Uh, they, for the most part, with a high population, people were angry at the government. Those quickly, those those cities quickly fell, and well. If you have a small fraction group controlling a city and not having an in, an in supply of supplies coming in, it's not going to last very long. Eventually now and currently, uh, the Syrian government controls majority of all the cities of Syria. Major cities, I should point out. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I guess an important thing to point out with the Syrian government is how corrupt it is. So... Even if you're a member, you know, somebody who's trying to get away from them, if you have enough money, you can. And granted, this isn't a population that I don't have the numbers in front of me, but after, you know, 2008, 2009, I think most of the country dipped below the poverty line or at or near the poverty line. But with enough bribery, you can get out of most situations because it is, you know, authoritarian government, which is corrupt i don't i don't know how else to say that but it's as corrupt as it is cruel and so they've done like we yeah a bunch of terrible things to try and maintain order that have pretty much driven the population to not be able to trust anybody which is what the government wants because if they can't trust anybody they can't organize and so it, it's just this never-ending cycle of What's it called when a snake eats its own tail? There's a there's a name for it. I believe it's a Greek myth. But yeah, it's a very similar situation like this. And since you brought it up, Nick, I'd like to switch to chemical warfare. Uh, so for the most part, the world saw what was happening in Syria and thought it was just a normal civil war. Civil wars happen throughout the world. There are multiple happening right now. Until 2013. And I guess what... I came across a lot. I don't know if you did too, Mike. From what I understand, what everyone talks about the Syrian civil war, they, everyone says, well, the average timeline for a civil war is 15 years, which means we have a lot of time to go. Now, that's the average. It could be less than that, but it could be more than that. We have another four years to go <laughs> if, it's, if it's 15 years. But back to chemical weapons. Yeah, chemical weapons are a no-no in war. I think everyone agrees, eh, don't use those. Well, they got used. They got used, well, one specifically time used. And it was another situation of everyone pointing fingers, everyone not knowing who did what. The Syrian government said it was the rebels. The rebels and the people said it was the Syrian government. Britain, France, and America said they have evidence it was the Syrian government, although the evidence has not been released. And, Nick, I think this was funny. In, quote-unquote, retaliation for saying that the Syrian government was the one who released the chemical weapons, Bashar threatened the United States and Britain, at which point Iran, China, and Russia told Syria to chill the fuck out. But 
the chemical use in warfare made America have more eyes on Syria. Which, in turn, we got to see what ISIS truly was, an extreme terrorist organization on the rise at this time in 2013. And once considered a threat and chemical warfares, the United States got involved. Did we, though? We did. We did drone strikes. And then once we, and once a few years later, we'd be... What year did we do the drone strikes in? I believe it was 2013. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought... I don't think we got involved with ISIS until 2015, but I believe we were doing drone strikes and investigation in 2013 against uh, possible agents for chemical warfare, if I remember correctly. I could be mistaken. Let me do a quick fact check. Okay, yeah, I think you're right. 2013. I had read that the United States decided to not do anything about the chemical weapons. I think it was officially yeah, not doing anything about but the chemical weapons. You're right. It wasn't official we're not doing anything but also well they destroyed the they destroyed the airfield that they were launched from yeah that too but the use of chemical warfare made the entire world start to focus on syria going what the fuck's going on here because that's that's a big no-no countries get away with genocide no country gets away with nuclear or chemical warfare so a few years later seeing the rise of isis and the terrorist threat of the Islamic extremists, the United States decided we'll get more involved, deciding to help different rebel groups that the United States deemed moderate rebel groups. They would start supplying, training, and using air support to help the Kurds, the rebel moderate groups, start to fight ISIS. Overall, this combined collection of the United States with these rebel forces and Kurds, the Syrian government still attacking, the Syrian uh, rebel groups in the south still fighting. Everyone toward, turned towards ISIS and kind of kicked the crap out of ISIS. And for the most part, ISIS went to a little bit away. But again, they are making a comeback because, well, bunch of weapons, bunch of supplies, bunch of military equipment, and a power vacuum tends to lead to more war. Yeah, and I mean, it's just there's so there's so much people trying to take power that it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to do it. Right now, it seems like the Syrian government is going to be able to to, to maintain control. So it's just like, uh, there's a common enemy, but also I wouldn't work with them. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? I do not know. The enemy of my this enemy is... is my friend up to a point, I guess. Well, if it's the enemy of my enemy of my enemy of my enemy of yeah. my enemy, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of far, hard to figure out who's your friend. But speaking of making a complex, I think we brought up the United States. I think we should start moving into the other countries who have a chip in the game of what happens in Syria. So I was going to go local first. By local, you mean? Like Turkey, Iran, Iraq. I say let's go with, I say let's go with Iran. So Iran, big fan of the Syrian government. <laughs> Quote, unquote, their closest allies. Yeah, so Iran is supporting the Syrian government as well as supporting Hezbollah, which is another, in my opinion, terrorist organization uh, who, I mean, they do similar. I guess the, in my, when I say, and I, I know I said the quote about how you know, history will tell the terrorists from the rebels and the victors, but when you are targeting civilians, I feel like that's an automatic terrorist 
thing. Yeah, when you're when you're using terror to win their support, yeah, that's kind of definition of terrorist. And I it, like it kind of reminds me of like the Irish Republican Army targeting the English military, and when they when they hit uh, civilians on accident, they're you know the people who would send money from the United States to them stopped, and it, like that was a clear line that people weren't willing to. It was like, okay, we support you for independence. Like, oh no, and that's the line. Like you crossed it, and you're done. Well, you know who doesn't care and will keep supporting Iran. Yeah, Iran, from what I could tell, was only supplying weapons, money, and troops. Which, funny enough, is the three things you need for war, Nick. Yeah, pretty much. I, I can't. Now, I'm, I'm struggling to think of what the fourth thing is. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is where things get more interesting. Iran has physical troops in Syria, helping the Syrian government. Which then made more countries focus their I, their eyes on Syria. Now stay with me because it kind of makes sense. But once Iran got involved in the Syrian civil war, Israel got super concerned. In case you don't know, Iran and Israel don't exactly have the best relationships. And that's uh, putting it politely. And like I said, Iran, which funds Hezbollah, Hezbollah constantly fighting with Israel, want like all sorts of terrorist attacks and, and shit. So Hezbollah, Israel, sworn enemies, funded by Iran, enemy of Israel. So it makes sense that Israel is going to support any enemy of Iran. Get, getting a little bit ahead. Sort of. Israel didn't really, from what I could tell, support anyone. As soon as Iran got in, Israel kind of put on the red light and got nervous because one Syria is a natural border between Iran and Syria and but now Iran battle ready troops are at their doorsteps so when Iran started putting troops especially near the Golden Heights a territory already disputed between Israel and uh, Syria Israel got involved from what I could tell not directly so they would just do the occasional airstrike or missile strike in Syria, mainly targeting Iran supplies and killing Syrian government personnel as a byproduct. From what I could tell, and it's hard, it's hard to count the numbers, hundreds of missile strikes have happened since 2011, but the exact number is unknown and Israel does not want to comment on it. And I was not sure if you had anything more about the Israel involvement because of Iran. I just, I know they're sending some money. I know money is somehow being funneled from the U.S. into Israel, into enemies of our enemies. So allies, we're sending money, the United States, into Israel, and then they're sending it to places to do whatever with it. <laughs> uh, we, it's going to who we don't know, and they're on our side today, but our enemy tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, throwback to this is how we got into Afghanistan. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Saddam Hussein was our ally in, Until he what was that 60s, 70s when he was fighting the Russians? I can't remember the year. But he was like the guy. And we gave him a bunch of money, a bunch of weapons. Yeah, I don't really know how to finish that statement, but. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And then he wasn't. And that's the. And that's when I thought we learned the lesson we should stop funding random radical groups in the Middle East. 
which I thought was a pretty specific lesson to learn. <laughs> Not really one you had to learn twice. But then we did it with ISIS. I'm just kidding. I can't remember if we funded ISIS at the beginning. In the beginning, probably, I don't know. I, I don't know anymore. Uh, but you did bring up the Russians. And before we get to Turkey, I think I, I, I'm just going down who's on side. I'm going on who's on the Syrian government side. So you got the Iran. You got Israel against Iran. Who's ha- So now because Iran's with the Syrian government, Israel's against the Syrian government. But then you also have another foreign entity in the picture, which has been there for a while, Russia. So even before the Civil War, going back to the Cold War, Russia's had a huge influence on Syria. And this is what I found really weird. Part Russia was part of the deals and treaties between Israel and Syria, even to this day. Like, not most recent history, but like within the last five years, Russia's the trying to be the one like, all right, guys, stop, stop it. Which is kind of ironic. But Russia's also supplying Syria with military equipment and troops to fight rebel groups. Well, Russia doesn't want to see... Russia doesn't want Russians to see that people can rebel against the state. It's bad, bad press for Russia. <laughs> uh, some recent news, something I think is kind of prevalent. Russian military equipment, most importantly, anti-aircraft missiles, have been recently implemented in Syria, which have been recently fired at Israel jets who, who are doing runs to bomb Iranian supplies. thought that was kind of f- weird. And sticking with the side of the Syrian government is the Lebanon, which more specifically a military group called Hezbollah, which have boosted the Syrian government numbers significantly. I don't know the percentages, but enough where it's like you got reinforcements, like the, the numbers have come in. Between Hezbollah and Russia? And well, I mean, if we're talking about just the numbers, also the Shia Muslims coming from Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan and Yemen have just flooded Syria to help the Syrian government, which I feel like they didn't, they're not coming on their own will. I think they maybe they're paid fighters. I don't know. It just seems weird for other countries to come in to help fight for the government, but that's what's happening. So now, you, now, just to keep track of everything in my own head, you have the Syrian government, the Kurds, rebel forces. Now you have Israel fighting against Iran, who's... Iran is part of is supporting the Syrian government. You have Shia Muslims and Lebanon and Russia supporting the Syrian government. You have the United States supporting the Kurds and rebel forces to fight ISIS. Everyone's against ISIS, and we, we <laughs> and, and and by uh, the United States we mean the United States and the rest of their NATO UN bitches, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, blah blah blah. Canada, the EU, France, Saudi Arabia, also anti-Syrian uh, government. There's one pretty big, and it's only a monetary supporter, but pretty big uh, supporter of the Syrian government who you didn't mention, Mike. And it's just shocking because it's one of your favorites. Oh, I was going to bring that up. Now. I was saving that for the cherry on top. I know exactly where you're going, but go right ahead. Oh, I'll let you, I'll let you take this one then if you're, if you're planning on it. Oh, so we mentioned from the Syrian government side, all those different sides, but one superpower we have not talked about. Another superpower who doesn't want to see 
doesn't want to see authoritarians toppled. Is And they have a lot of interest in the natural resources of the country, mainly oil, would be Syria's new powerful ally, China. And boy, has China gotten involved. Currently, they're only supplying equipment. And if you're still curious what side you should be on. <laughs> uh, can I honestly, can I just say I have no size in the Syrian civil war? I, it, I don't understand it well enough to choose a side. I mean, the side is not China, I guess. is the that, side. That, Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I can I can honestly say I don't support the Syrian government and I don't support ISIS. I can say that without any worries. Yeah. But the China, the Chinese have been supplying specific communication equipment, which has Israel worried because this is to target their jets. So you have Syrian government officials, military, with with other countries involvement troops, to and Russian anti aircraft equipment and missiles that are hooked up to Chinese radar equipment to shoot down enemy jets. This is this is this is a Frankenstein. And along with this alliance between China and the Syrian government, China gets a lot of oil. Also, Syria gets to be the new piece of China's Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road Initiative is a, the new Silk Road of sorts with trade with China at the helm and controlling it. So pretty much you have a lot of powerful forces in this. So on one side, you have Iran, Iraq, China, Russia, Lebanon, Syrian government, Shia Muslims, and ISIS all fighting against rebel groups and Kurds and Israel and the United States. But guess what? More countries are going to get involved. I mean, there's only, what, 192 countries? I mean, what are we at here? <laughs> well, we're... Uh, We'll definitely hit double digits. <laughs> I can tell you that it's much. It's like, does New Zealand really need to be involved? <laughs> uh, well, yes. <laughs> Just yes. Uh, I'll be honest with you, with Nick. I'm not sure if this is a chicken or egg scenario. I don't know if Russia got involved because Israel got involved or Israel got involved because Iran got involved. I don't. It's kind of hard to keep track who came first, and it's... It's hard when other countries start getting involved. Well, I'm sure so that was, Israel got involved as soon as Iran got involved. And I'm sure Russia got involved as soon as Iran got involved. So probably all at the same time? That's that's probably a fair assessment. assessment. But now we have the other side of the board. To assist the rebel forces or, or the Kurds, you have the Gulf Arab countries, so like Saudi Arabia, you said, Qatar, countries like those, mainly supplying money. Then you have Jordan, which is sending... Uh, military advisors to help train the rebel forces and the Kurds. You have the United States where, well, to be honest with you, Nick, it puts her money where it suits her interests in the best, supplying training and airstrikes. And then the biggest force, Turkey. On the side of not the Syrian government and not ISIS, still not certain if they're on the sides of the rebels or the Kurds. Of who Tur- So who Turkey's involved with? Who's Turkey in favor of winning the Syrian war? But before we get before we get that, because I think Turkey is probably one of the biggest pieces of the pie. Like I said, the United States and the Kurds have a long, complex history. Sometimes we're with them. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we screw them over. Sometimes they screw us over. And while we were focusing a lot with the Kurds combating ISIS, like I said, but in 2019, the United States declared ISIS defeated and we left. With Once we left, the Kurds became vulnerable. No air support supplies. 
the United States allowed the Syrian government to move in and ISIS to stay alive and making a comeback. Now, it's important to know, again, the Syrian government insisted that ISIS is under control. It's not. In recent news, uh, a prison has been attacked holding ISIS fighters by ISIS to reboost their numbers. They got like 500, 1500 plus, if I remember correctly. You just don't, you can't simply just control a terrorist organization. If they exist, they are no longer under your control. That's a stupid fucking statement. Yeah, well, it's also another thing. We said we're out of it, but we're really not. Uh, The United States is not completely gone from this region. In February 2020, the United States announced the killing of Abu Ibrahim al-Hashim a leader in the Islamic State. So, though the United States is not serving in the same capacity it once was, it still has its eyes focusing on Syria. Uh, Something else I want to point out with ISIS, because a lot of ISIS members are foreign fighters. Like, it's not one country that ISIS stems for. It's multiple countries. And many of these ISIS members come from other countries bringing their entire families. Well, the rebels, the Kurds... The Syrian government, they capture ISIS members and their families. But politically or resource-based, they have to release the ISIS family members. And in December 2020, uh, the Kurds had to release 42 women and 104 children, most of them orphans, and I don't know who they released them to. But back to major allies, Turkey. Turkey, Turkey, Turkey. And that's not a bowling term. That's just me being surprised about Turkey, Nick. Yeah, so... From what I had, and correct me if you had something different, Turkey was against the Kurds and allied with the Free Syrian Army, which was allied against the Free Syrian Army was fighting the government. I have something different. Okay. And I'm sure they're both right. That's what's difficult about this. I have that the Turkish government is against PPK, which is a Kurdish group in Turkey. But they're okay with Kurds in Syria as long as they don't form their own nation or such. Like they don't want the Kurds in power to influence the Kurds in their own country. They're okay with the People's Protective Unit. Less, they're not okay with the PPK. They're okay with rebel forces. They're okay with the uh, Free Army-ish. As long as the free army is not near the borders of Turkey. That's what I could understand. And that seems, yeah, I I feel like that's a reasonable explanation. Now, something I did not realize was how powerful Turkey is in NATO. For those who don't know, Turkey has the second biggest military, USA number one, as always. Turkey's the second biggest military in NATO. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. That's, I'm not kidding. Isn't every, like... European country in that? Is Canada in NATO? Yeah. Well, wait, that's because Turkey is worried about fighting India. Turkey's worried about fighting everyone. Do you see who they border? Pull up my map here. So, Turkey has the President Erdogan. I'm not going to try to say his own name. I suck at English, let alone trying to pronounce other countries' names. And Turkey is influencing helping mainly the northern part of Syria because that's what it touches. And, well, Turkey's not only taking the most Syrian refugees, but it's also involved with many countries. Well, to give you time next, I'm just bantering. To give reference, the Syrian civil war started in Turkey 
started taking in refugees. The Turkey economy power, the Turkey economy decreased hard. Many of the people blaming it on refugees. So the Turkey decided to get involved in the Syrian civil war. If history shows, the best way for a country to get out of poverty is war. But Turkey isn't all it, it doesn't have all its eggs in one basket. While engaged in Syria, Turkey would also back Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan? Not quite Azerbaijan. sure how to pronounce that. Azerbaijan. Which is a war against Armenia. Another civil war. This is a world this is a war with the front line being thirty to hundred meters between combatants like trench warfare in World War One, or in UK and Russia separatists before Russia got involved. The reason why I point this out is because Turkey's involved and Russia's involved. Russia's relationship with Turkey is a complex one. Russia's relationship with everybody is a complex one. <laughs> touche, touche. So on one hand, you have Russia brokering peace in Azerbaijan and Amarna and Ar- Armenia. You have trade routes both from Russia and Turkey agreeing at the same time, but you also have Turkey and Russia troops against each other in Syria. So it's just they're they're not really allies, but they're not really enemies. And like I said, it's from what I can tell, Turkey didn't doesn't like the PPK, and they're worried about the influence of the Kurds if they win in Syria and how it'll affect the Kurds in Turkey. And Nick, just for a fun fact, because you were surprised by the NATO fact, you know Turkey is powerful enough to influence that they're keeping Sweden and Finland out of NATO. One, I didn't know that. Two, I mean, fuck them, I guess. <laughs> what what are we doing here in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? Why is this new? Like, I thought we disbanded this in the 70s. I really thought the U.S. just was like, this is stupid. We're doing the U.N. now. Why is NATO important again? Like, this is Cold War era shit. Have you seen the times we live in? It's everyone trying to make allies. We're at can. war with Russia and blah, blah, blah. Doing oh, a I proxy even thinking... fight in Ukraine. It's the same shit. Chemical weapons. I wasn't even no, thinking Russia. It. I was thinking of China. <laughs> Either way, yeah. I mean, I guess it's more, once again, the United States, huge military, is just making up for its weak allies. Looking at you, all of Europe. Well, Turkey's not that weak. And uh, well, I don't think we're allies with Turkey. That's probably that's probably. Well, that, there you go. <laughs> The United States might not be allied with Turkey. Russia sort of allied with Turkey? Not quite sure on that one. But their alliance might be a little bit on the delicate side. So once Russia got involved in Ukraine, they pulled some of their military personnel from Syria. Well, Turkey saw an opportunity and started putting their uh, military, bolstering their military along the border. And in July 2022, the Turkey president stated that they would launch a new offensive into Syria, and it seems like it's not going to be solely the Sy- against the Syrian government, but also the People's Protection Unit, the Kurdish forces in northeast Syria. One, bold move to announce that you're attacking. Two, I think they're just done with trying to choose sides. I think they're just going to start attacking everyone. I mean, that's not really the opposite of what they've been doing they've just been quiet about it i feel like or not quiet about it but i mean it's kind of the same thing the united states does support all sides you always come out on top (laughs) had your bets had your bets 
But because of this, the Kurds in the northeast region, which is the major region that the Kurds control in Syria, which is like 30% of Syria, they started digging underground in preparation for a Turkish invasion. It's important to note, these rebel forces, these freestanding armies, these Kurdish forces, they don't really have jets. It's kind of just like a government thing where money comes from. Like, they don't, like, yeah, they'll have anti-missiles, they'll have rocket launchers, they'll have anti-tanks, but they don't really have jets. And I don't know about you, Nick, but air support's very important. And Turkey, as of recently, has been flying military aircraft in Syrian airspace. So hence why the Kurds are digging underground and digging trenches underground. Yeah, so I'm just thinking about there's a there's a reason you stay underground. It's because there's a lot less predators there. There's a, a, a rodent, I guess, that lives out here that spends 90% of its time underground. And you, you like very few people have seen like a real one because they spend all their time underground. So it's a very safe place to be, I guess, is the point of the story that you all already knew. So I'll shut up now. <laughs> well, when the bombs start dropping, uh, don't come a knock and just hide underground. And it seems to be the strategy. So it looks like you have Israel attacking from the West to defend its borders or just attack Iran. Not quite sure. You have Iran moving into Syria to help Syria become an ally. You have Russia pushing northward. You have Kurds and forces pushing southward. You have splitter splatter of rebels else out throughout Syria. You have ISIS coming in kind of from the northeast region, kind of where the Kurds are at. You have the United States kind of coming and going as they please. You have Turkey pressing from the north. You have the Gulf Arabic countries supplying money in. You have China supplying money in. You have Jordan supplying money in. You have Lebanon supplying money in. It's this is a war on all fronts. I don't know. It's it's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it seems to be very terrible for the civilians. And the civilians are just it's not been easy. Life has not been easy for them. No, this has been most most people are are gone. What's the uh... So one million billion people have been displaced. What what's the number? Not a billion. Uh, so because I remember it was higher. I don't have it in front of me. It was higher than I thought it would be. Half the the half the population of Syria has left. More than half. Somewhere between twelve twelve million onwards have left. Six point nine Syrians. And these are these are numbers I believe from twenty nineteen. So take take this with a grain of salt. 6.9 Syrians are initially displaced. 6.8 are seeking or in asylum in a different country. Turkey, again, being the biggest one to take in Syrian refugees. The biggest non-bordering country to take in Syrian refugees is Germany at over 60,000 uh, or 600,000 refugees. Yeah, and there's uh, a couple other countries. I know, and I, I don't know how to pronounce this. I've heard it pronounced Qatar and Qatar. However it is, they're taking a lot of refugees. I know Greece, a lot of refugees are escaping to Greece. People of Greece, not exactly huge fans. Oh, this is going to be kind of interesting, speaking of refugees. You know why Turkey doesn't want Finland and Sweden to be part of the NATO? I'm trying to think of a good reason. and I'm, Continue. I, I don't. Well, 
Sweden and Finland took in Kurd refugees, but those Kurd, some of the Kurds were part of the PPK, which are terrorist organizations which Turkey hates. So that's why they don't want uh, those two countries part of NATO. So Tur- that's why Turkey is blocking them from entering NATO. Gotcha. Cool. All good stuff. <laughs> it just just more 3D chest. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's crazy that, I mean, for most, again, that NATO is still a thing. Like, let's do UN, let's do NATO, let's one and done. I mean, why are we paying both organizations to essentially rely on the United States military? But that's another another time and place. Yes. Um, Kind of bringing it back to Syria a little bit. With more than 12 million people displaced and chemical warfare being used, government crackdowns, not knowing who's on what side, casualties are kind of high. The UN, at a minimum, has the casualty rate at 350, 100,000 or over that, while a UK source I came across has it nearly at half a million, with more than 150,000 being civilian casualties alone. Now, I'm not quite sure how they calculated this. To me, these numbers seem kind of like an educated guess because there's so much happening. How do you even count? Yeah, and kind of to to bring it back to one, yeah, how do you, how do you count? And two, I, I we didn't really touch on this point, but I thought it was an important point to bring up. Going back to the chemical weapons, the chemical weapon that they used was sarin gas, but it was refined sarin gas in that it stayed in place longer and got in the dust and soil basically more deadly than like the sarin gas the united states has so at some point someone along the way helped them do that i'm not going to point names to any other countries who are allies with the syrian government who has the means monetarily and the will to create deadlier chemical weapons but we can probably (laughs) guess which which two countries <laughs> this, were probably involved? Does it start with an R, I, or yeah, C? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but with all this damage being done, all these people being displaced, all these people killed, the UN has called Syria one of the biggest humanitarian problems in the world. And Nick, since we're... This might be a little bit of a deviation, but since we're talking about supplying chemicals... There's something that I don't realize people don't really talk about when it comes to the Syrian civil war. And I don't know if you came across in your research, but the drug market. Yeah. So I thought this was pretty funny. I mean, I guess relatively. So the, what is the, what's the, starts the K, Ketchma, the drug that they're using over there. Well, there's Capagon. Capagon That's what it is. Remember how I said in the beginning that the, uh, Bashar, the president of Syria, is putting his family members in high positions throughout the country. Mahar Assad, the president's younger brother, who now is in charge of the 4th Armored Division in Syrian's army. And Nick, wouldn't you know it that the 4th Armored Division is kind of running the drug game in Syria? And those two major drugs being Hashish and Kepkan, like I just said. But Nick, go on from there. I just wanted, I have some stuff, but boy, I just wanted to say... Talk about dictatorship when you're putting your family members in positions of power. Yeah, gotta love it. So, Capagon is, it used to be a prescription drug, kind of similar to an Adderall-ish type drug, and but 
if I remember correctly, it was an alternative to methanet and etamphetamine. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of what Adderall is. It's an it's an amphetamine. So yeah, but let's. It's more addictive, but doesn't get you. It's not as of an upper of an upper, and it's very popular in the Middle East, and it accounts for a huge amount. I mean, I don't know how true this is, but. And and this is what's this is why I don't know how true it is. There it I saw a statistics that accounts for like a third of the world drug trade. This cap again drug I've never heard of. And it's very popular in the Middle East. And but it's not popular in the US, it's not popular in Europe. And well from what I've from what I understand is because it's like a generic of a knockoff prescription drug and Basically, you're giving it to all these people, these these fighters in the Middle East who have never used any form of drugs or alcohol in their entire life. So you're giving them the, like the first, you know, gateway drug into that world, if you will. <laughs> first one's free. Yeah, exactly. And so they're like, oh, this is pretty good. And again, having not tried any other drugs, sure. But I, and I think that's why from what I've seen it. It doesn't have a market in Europe, doesn't have a market in the U.S. because it's just not a good drug compared to other drugs people are using. But it's creating a ton of money in the Middle East. That's when I get back to, like, talking about ISIS. Some parts of ISIS will let these Capcan struggle, you know, their soldiers use this this drug. Some won't. And, you know, they'll let it pass through. You'll take bribes to sell it and all that kind of stuff. But I just thought it was hilarious, you know. It's like... I went to University of Idaho, and we had a good amount of Latter-day Saints people there. And it was like the first, like, if you see them just do, like, you know, have, like, a sip of beer or just, like, smoke a cigar, it's like, holy shit, this is insane. It's like, but wait, buddy, it gets so much crazier from here. And that's what I feel like this is. And the the thing about the drug is that it's basically just random stuff stamped with like the K that it was manufactured with. So most of the ones that are impounded aren't even all the same drug. It's just like whatever they put in these pills. So it's not as really like a drug. It's more of just a pill with a bunch of shit in it with the K stamped on it. Yes, but I'm going to disagree with you about the Europe market. The reason why, uh, in July 1st, 2020, Italy seized 84 million tablets of Captagon, coming from Syria. The estimated street value of those 84 million tablets was around $1.1 billion. That's what they confiscated. What didn't they confiscate? And just to let you know, uh, in 2021, 250 million pill- pills were confiscated. And again, God knows how many weren't confiscated. Hey, did you did you run across what Saudi Arabia does for like drug busts and stuff? I did not. Okay, it's fucking genius. For every drug bust, the informant gets half and the arresting officers get the other half. That seems like a very good way to promote cooperation. Right? I mean, you could retire on that drug bust. That's why there's so many sports cars in Saudi Arabia. Got it. Got it. Uh. But Nick, speaking of getting more complicated and ingenious, you know where Syria gets the chemicals? And this is a drug that has to be made. 
synthetically. It can't be grown. So it has to have processed labs and it has to get chemicals. Nick, do you want to take a guess on where these chemicals come from? And it's not a country we've talked about yet. North Korea. No. Damn it. Guess who's getting involved? India. Oh, it's so close. India is one of the major suppliers for the chemicals to make Capcom. And they kind of, with this new Silk Road initiative, they kind of have a direct tie into Syria. So India has a a stakeholder on the Syrian civil war based on their drug supply. So it, it it's like, Nick, I'm not quite sure how many rebel groups form just to be drug cartels in Syria, to be honest with you. It's, it's so much money. The drug business alone for Bashar and his family have made billions of dollars for themselves, for their family, billions of dollars. I can't imagine how much other money is going around. Can't imagine the the profit margins of them. I I don't know why this is not more in mainstream news of this drug that's worth multi billions of dollars that is being passed around that has multiple countries involved. China having the supply route, India giving the supply to Syria. Syria being the one where they make uh, hashish, which hashish is just compressed weed, pretty much. It's just hash. And all that gets like spread out. It's like it's like the international hub for drugs for this this region. And we don't even talk about the drug market in the United States. I don't know why you think we would talk about this when it's so far away from us. Touche, touche, touche. People are getting in gunfights in Northern California over weed right now. So just we don't hear anything about it. So I mean, not that it is right but i feel like there's your answer fair enough and uh well nick i got another group that might get involved because of the drug market these people are unknown there has been drug assassinations much like cartels do and it's in the middle of the civil war there's been 12 assassination attempts and complete assassinations that have been made mainly targeting officers in the fourth division the same that Bashar's younger brother controls and the running theory is the assassinations may have been done by a foreign energy entity like jordan because jordan's getting really pissed off about how much drugs are coming from syria into their country or the other idea that the syrian locals from the dar region when the region got punished by the syrian government officials who were already involved in the drug trade started doing the assassinations this kind of lines up because right when Dahar got pushed is right when the assassinations popped up. So it's kind of hard. It's, an, it's, it's you have internal conflict. You have foreign entities in there. And then inside the internal conflict, you have your own drug world, which you are fighting against your own forces. Nick, this is like I, I need like 18 whiteboards to keep track of who's fighting who. Yeah. And there's no good graphic because it changes all the time. And it's it's. There's they don't or they don't include everyone. And it's the whole time I was trying to find a good geographic representation of area controlled and who is supporting who. And it couldn't. And it was very frustrating. <laughs> uh, you know, it's also going to change things very soon, especially from the drug market and for the Civil War market. Civil War. What do you, uh, the act of Civil War? Uh, that's not quite sure how to phrase that. Nick, do you know about the current drought that's happening in Syria? Yeah, it's not helping any of the lack of money, funds, resources that Syria is involved with. Do you know what's causing the uh, the, the drought? 
Well, here my dumbass was going to say nature, but it sounds like that's not the answer. Uh, apparently, now I couldn't find stuff to do this, but this is coming from the farmers in Syria. They say it's Turkey damming the rivers and blocking off the springs from causing water to come down to them. Because where the water comes from does come from the Turkey region downward. So it could be a real possibility that Turkey is causing a drought in Syria. I believe it. Again, take this with a grain of salt. I cannot confirm nor deny that this was actually happening. I just saw a couple interviews about uh, Syrian farmers trying to grow food, and they go, this is what's happening. So they might know. They might not know. But Uh, Water rights are a contentious issue. I mean, water in Arabic countries are kind of important. Yeah. Well, water... Anywhere. (laughs) Even in California, it's... Fucking contentious issue. So it seems like um, you have the drug trade. The market's going to go up cost because the supply is going to go down. There's going to call more people being killed. You're going to have more civilians starving because you're not growing as much food. You're going to have more people fighting over food, which is going to cause more people to fight. You're going to have more people starving, so they're going to join more groups to get more food, which is going to call more fighting. Then you're going to have more humanitarian aid from the UN, so the more foreign countries are going to get involved. This is, uh, I, I, how do you even solve this? I mean, maybe we just leave this silent and that's how we end the episode. <laughs> no, I'm like, I really don't, I, I don't have a solution. I mean, you're just going to have to see how it ends, I guess. Yeah. But to be honest with you, Nick, this honestly seems like World War One to me, where everyone's got an alliance with everyone else and they're kind of using other countries as pawns to try to test each, test out the water. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> what, uh, I feel like we're, we're, we're basically, ju- ju- I mean, nothing that's happening over there is good, but it's like, we're trying to figure out how to end something that's, doesn't seem like the end is near. I mean, I guess from what I understand right now, it seems like the Syrian government is going to maintain control without, unless there's foreign intervention. I don't know what you've seen. One, I don't understand the problem, so therefore I can't solve the problem. Two, like, I I understand war is bad, but like, understanding the the caveats. But from what I can see, is since Syria, I think, honestly, I see it being more like an Israel Palestine region, where it's like the Northeast will forever be under contention, the Golden Heights will forever be under cont- contention, and but the rest will pretty much stay Syrian government. That's that's what I see. Until a bigger country gets involved, like if Turkey was to actually invade, since they do are putting troops on the border, then if it's a Syrian government versus Turkey, I think Turkey's winning that one, and I have no idea what's going to happen after that. It's, I guess I really, and, and again, I just feel like this has escalated beyond a civil war into, like you said, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, everyone's trying to sign, and there's a powder keg waiting to blow off. It seems like there could either be a major escalation or a de-escalation, and it could occur tomorrow or ten years from now. It's just like I like I don't see that there's a definite end, and I don't see that there's a solution. I someone's going to take power. I can only see this escalating, to be honest with you, because. Honestly, I think if Turkey was to invade 
Syria, I think Iran gets more heavily involved. Because I, I honestly don't know the relationships between Turkey and Iran. But if Turkey's backing the groups against the Syrian government, I assume Iran and Turkey don't have the most best relationship. But that being said, Turkey's going against Russia in Syria, but they're allies elsewhere. I, I just don't know. I mean, it's I, I don't... I think we're just going to have to take it day by day. And I guess the, the important part is knowing the players beforehand and knowing what actions will affect who in the world scene, right? Like everyone's watching to see how everyone, each other is reacting. And so when we think we're just going in to help, you know, Syrian refugees, we're actually going in to help the enemies of China and Russia. And some of the Syrian refugees are actually parts of terrorist organizations yeah so i guess what what did we discover it's very complicated i mean (laughs) i don't really know what uh what the solution is there what the purpose i mean i i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about i'm right there with you my friend i i'm actually happy with myself to understand what i do know which is everyone's at war with each other and yeah, that's 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 about right. One day, it, as soon as the wind blows, you're fighting someone else, or you're no longer allies with them. That's that's from what I can tell, and it seems with the drug trade, that's just gonna get bigger because once money's involved, everyone wants a piece of the pie. Yeah, and, and as part of China's Belt and Road Initiative, they want to be going through the country, getting natural resources there, so they have they have a reason to be there and they own pretty much everything. So they're probably going to get what they want, no matter who ends up on top. So we'll see how that works out. Well, shit, Nick, this one's been a depressing one. Who would have guessed civil war is depressing? Yeah. Most people probably. (laughs) Well, that's, that's all I got because I, I spent probably too long researching this and I still don't quite understand it. Yeah. I'll second that. I, you know, I'm sure we got, some alliances wrong because of the nature of shifting alliances and in parties and not the area we're familiar with but i feel like we we've tried to break it down as best we could and i got a little boring listing who got you know who's allied with who but it's all important and uh so i i hope maybe we helped break down not only what's going on but why it's important or you know who's involved but also, yeah, it's a lot, and we spent a lot of time researching it. I don't feel like I understand, you know, three quarters of when you get deeper, and it's a... It's like an onion. It's got yeah. multiple layers. But it, but the thing is, when you peel it back, it's just like, but each, you know, like, look at, just a quick example, it'd be like, the Kurds are mostly allied with these people, but when you break it back, actually, these Kurds, so it's like, it's very local and territorial and there's not a distinct it's you know like what people say like oh the united states what would a civil war look like and it'd be like look around like there's no it's not a north-south civil war it's a every you know it so it's yeah it's a mess yeah i i am happy though we are talking about it i feel like the syrian civil war does not get the eyes it should get on how <laughs> 50 more than more than half the population being displaced 80 to 90 percent of the country being in poverty that i feel should make some more headlines than it actually is so i i am happy to know more about what's going on but 
I imagine the way things are escalating right now, we're going to see more Syrian civil war news coming out, especially with all the foreign entities getting involved. I'm sure. But uh, before you out of here, Mike, what have you been reading? I am finishing up Geometry for Ocelots. It's a good book. Just been busy. What about you, Nick? What are you reading? Still reading resource allocation for conifers. Riveting. <laughs> Boy, aren't we just a ball of fun. And if anyone could explain the Syrian civil war better than us, please hit us up and try to explain it on our social media. Now, and Nick, where could they tell us? Uh, Reddit and Instagram. And with that being said, hopefully peace is soon and people are free. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.